THN is brought to you by Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska, and by listeners like you. Go to TwoHeadedNerd.com and click Donate, or visit Patreon.com backslash TwoHeadedNerd to become a supporter. Hacha! Our story this week picks up where we left off last week. Broadcasting from the Ziggurat at Omaha, deep below the metro area, it is our pleasure to welcome you to episode 535, a very American episode of the Two-Headed Nerd comic book podcast, Nerds. I am a patriot named Matt Bomb. Some might call it too American. Yeah, it's a little too American. And I'm the Internet's Joe Patrick. In this week's episode, we're reviewing a bunch of Wednesday, July 3rd's new comics with spotlight reviews on Lois Lane, number one, and Test, number one. It's uncomfortably American. Not necessarily too American, but it's a little too... Uncomfortably American. American. Yeah, Yeah, I think that's good. (laughs) After that, we'll review eight more of this week's comics in the middle of the most unsafe firework display this reality has witnessed during the ludicrous speed round. Then it's down to the THN Sanctum Sanctorum, where we tip our glasses with the ghost of some fallen Americans while rapping about our must-read picks for next week. And finally... The War of the Realms is over! So it's time for our TLDR version of The War of the Realms. You guessed it. Yeah, it's that's all it. happening in this 4th of July spectacular episode, but first... It won't be out until well after the 4th of July. No, uh I'm Oh, no, that's up. right. It's this week. Sorry, yeah, I forgot. So what are you talking I about? I forgot we're in the future. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. I, th- I forgot we didn't record time. And this is how the sausage is made, folks. Hey. But first, we better talk about this week's nerd news. Way to go. Nerd news, sorry. (laughs) Writer Neil Gaiman says that he pitched a TV version of his and artist Andy Kubert's 2003 limited series Marvel 1602, which transported some of Marvel's characters and concepts to a world set in the 1600s to Marvel Television. But according to Gaiman... Oh, that's who he pitched it to. Yeah. Oh, okay. According to Gaiman, they weren't biting. It's a quote from Mr. Gaiman himself. I asked Marvel TV about me making 1602 last year, but they weren't interested. What a pity. (laughs) 1602 was a hit with fans and critics alike, leading to several sequels in the intervening years in 2008. Marvel president, Marvel Studios president Kevin Feige expressed interest in a 1602 film. However... No one has ever really been interested in 1602. No. Except for Neil Gaiman. <laughs> Not even Marvel was interested in 1602. It was dumb. Uh, 1602. No, I mean, it was fine. It was good. It was it fine. It was tiring. It was Marvel, weird. It went on too long. It had too many spinoffs. That wasn't Gaiman's fault, but yes. Uh, no, it wasn't. Uh, but like, Marvel really tried to milk it. The whole thing was just, like, too precious you know like i didn't and like self-involved the, i didn't understand and, like, the point of it yeah and like reaching too hard be like oh you might not have picked up on it but this character with the cane and the bird head is actually wyatt wingfoot <laughs> you see like, his name is peter parquad parquad <laughs> like i get it yeah i mean in hindsight, 1602 just wasn't that 1602 sucked dude it didn't suck it it's, just what did you you know what like, we're gonna revisit it we're it's fine. It didn't it suck. I mean, it's Neil Gaiman. It had a base level of quality at the very least. I don't think least. you remember. Yeah, I do. <laughs> it, it's just like, but why? I just didn't understand why. Uh, maybe why? he needs a paycheck. I don't know. And definitely why revisit it 20 years almost later? That, I have no clue. He, he, the dude just had a very successful adaptation of a book he wrote on Amazon Prime. He's doing fine. Maybe he's high on his own supply and he's like, hey, you know what's next? 
I know what's going. Hey, check this out. We're gonna do this next. And Marvel's like, yeah, we'll. Uh, ooh, we're really busy. Mm, right we'll now. call you. Neil. Yeah, ooh. I mean, fa- you know what? We're gonna chew on it for a while. Phase four and is pretty booked. The Neil. answer we're- is no, but we'll call you. All right. Moving <laughs> <laughs> over to the Flash Gordon desk. In other Hollywood news, Taika Waititi has signed on in an unspecified role to quote crack. 20th Century Fox's long-simmering Flash Gordon film as an animated movie. It's one tough nut. It's according to Deadline. It's a tough nut to crack, apparently. One of Hollywood's trade sources says YTD will write and direct the film, but some from YTD's camp confirmed his involvement but said any specified role is a little premature. So slow your roll there, 20th you Century hire, Fox. <laughs> why would you hire Taika Waititi to do anything but direct it? Well, I mean, they may be of the mindset that, like, look, if you want to produce it, that's fine, but we don't want to pay you for both producer and director's credit when we can pay someone else or cheaper or something okay. like that. Because, I mean, if they're nervous as to how much money an animated Flash Gordon movie is going to make, it sure. might not be a bad idea to not pay Taika Waititi well, money. and typically, like, animation directors aren't usually the big names on those films. Like... That's true. I was shocked to learn that Phil Lord and Christopher Miller did not direct into the Spider-Verse. It was some other guy. Yeah. No, they produced but, it. And only one of them co-wrote it. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, weird. Yeah, Animation's weird. Go figure. Hey, who directed all the Toy Story movies? Brad Bird. Nope, that's Incredibles. Nope. Was it Brad Bird? Nope. Who was it then? Not Brad Bird. That proves my point. That was the incredible. <laughs> Brad Bird made the Incredibles. Yes, I know, that I know. Nobody cares about directors of animated films. That's why you don't necessarily have to get a giant name to direct it. Fox has been working on a Some Flash Gordon. Some people care about the directors of animated films. Let's not be crazy. Nobody knows. Nobody knows. Nobody knows. We should know Toy Story's director. I can't name him. It's not Brad Bird. Unfortunately, there's no website we can go to and plug in any movie to we learn can. these facts. That's not the point. Yeah. Fox has been working on a Flash Gordon film reboot for years with directors Matthew Vaughn and Julius Avery, both previously announced for the project in live-action film. I don't know that I want a live-action Matthew Vaughn. I love Matthew Vaughn. I don't know if I want him on my Flash Gordon. During promotion for Thor Ragnarok, Waititi said the 1980 Flash Gordon was a big influence on that film. Yeah, no shit. <laughs> it was pretty obvious. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Waititi, in a quote, went on to say, I think Flash Gordon is one of the biggest, you know, the tone, the colors, definitely the colors, the sort biggest, of how you know. bright. And yeah, like, this is rambling. He Ooh. loves Flash Gordon, and I love that Flash Gordon film as well. It is a ridiculous explosion of B-movie sci-fi, and it's literally ripped right from the old-school Flash Gordon comics, slightly updated to the 80s, super psychedelic, with a fucking kick-ass Queen soundtrack. It does have a great soundtrack. I don't know why we're not doing more animated movies like this. Now that animation is at its peak, more badass than it's ever been, after Into the Spider-Verse, I went on record as saying, you know what? Stop making Marvel movies. Just make animated Marvel movies this good. We're going to say that again I'm later tonight. Fine. <laughs> I think we're going to say that again later tonight when we get out of Spider Man Far From Home. I don't think so. I think we'll be all right. No, it's going to. I think this is I'm awesome just saying news. it's going to be like it's the pinnacle. I think this is completely awesome. I cannot wait for this. And I am looking for more animated films taken from comic books than live action now. That's what I want. Give me more animated movies. But they got to be big ones. Big, what? big, like Spider-Verse. Like huge. No, not, I mean, not necessarily. I'm just saying some of these things that have they've been wallowing I, in development. I don't mean like this. I mean, they need to be high quality productions. Yeah, yeah, of course. Like, the DC one hour card, no, not cartoon movies shit. are fine. A lot of them are very good, I, but I need a big budget. Like I don't care about them anymore. Yeah, throw some money yeah. at it. Get a real you know, animated production team. No, a lot of them are really team. good, but I need a big, yes. I, need the, I need it to be a spectacle. Now that we know we can go all out. 
Do it. Take some of these weird properties that have been wallowing in development. Make them animated films. Uh, I'll tell you who directed the first two Toy Story movies. Disgraced Pixar chief John Lasseter. Oh. <laughs> We're not going to talk about those anymore. <laughs> Toy Story 1 and 2 don't exist. You got to separate the man from the art. No. Yeah. That's it's not, not Toy Story's fault that John Lasseter is a prick. <laughs> Toy Story is still a great movie and fun to watch uh-huh, and heartwarming. Uh-huh. It's not like he snuck dicks into the picture. Right? You don't know that. You don't know that. Uh, yeah, I think that's a fun idea. Uh, why TD is a perfect name for a Flash Gordon project. Right. And you can get big name actors to come in and do voices. It takes very little time for them to come in and do the voice acting. It's not like they're on set shooting for long periods of time and shit. And I would be fine with a live ad- a live action version if it was like Thor Ragnarok. If it had the... If it had the if it had the the tone and the, you know the the psychedelic craziness honestly, of Thor Ragnarok I don't, or the original Flash Gordon, honestly, I don't want that because I feel like the original already nailed that so well and is completely timeless that you just be aping it. I don't think you could improve on what's done there. Now, an animated film, I think they could do whatever they want with it, and it'll be a shitload of fun. I think you're severely overestimating the objective quality of the Flash Gordon movie. Oh, no, it's incredible. It is, it's <laughs> truly incredible. I'm not saying it's not a great fun it movie. It is Max von Sydow's finest role. <laughs> okay. Clytus, I'm bored. What plaything can you offer me today? From the, didn't they just say they were done with this shit desk? Joe Hill has signed on to oversee a new DC pop-up group of titles. I think we're just calling it the What the Fuck DC desk the what at this the, part. The What the Fuck DC desk. <laughs> Focusing on horror, this was first reported by Entertainment Weekly, DC's Hill House Comics is scheduled to debut this fall with five limited series, two of which are written by Hill himself. That's exciting. Yeah. Here are the titles, creative teams, and descriptions from Entertainment Weekly. Basket Full of Heads. In. By Hill. Don't read anymore. I'm in. (laughs) By Hill and artist Leo Max, which sounds like a Transformer. Yeah. Basketful of Heads starts with a young couple house-sitting a New England mansion filled with Viking artifacts, coins, shields, and even an axe. Then a storm hits and brings with it some home invaders. So the girl goes to hide. When she emerges, her boyfriend is nowhere to be found, but one of the assailants has stayed behind for her. This better involve her putting on a Viking helmet and grabbing a sword or an axe and fighting home invaders. Uh, you know, I'm sure it will. The I mean, doll- you got to get the heads in the basket somehow. Right? Sure. The Dollhouse Family by Vertigo Legends, Mike Carey and Peter Gross. Uh, Carey and Gross will be exploring the life of Alice, who was gifted a big, beautiful dollhouse as a child filled with a magical family of dolls. Oh, as boy. she gets older, I already see where this is going. Alice returns to the dollhouse with unexpected results. Mm, yeah, puppet master some, shit. Some, uh, I was thinking like Annabelle, but yeah. Straight up puppet master shit. The Low, Low Woods by Carmen Maria Machado and Danny. What's oh, Danny. One named artist. Danny with an I. A story about they a... They spell it the stripper way. Yeah. Story... <laughs> like uh, Danny the, Moonstar. <laughs> the, the dot above the I is a little star. Mm. Yeah. A story about a Pennsylvania mining town affected by a mysterious plague that eats memories. Ooh. Sounds delicious. Daphne Byrne by Laura Marks and Kelly Jones. Oh, Kelly Jones. Set in the gaslit 1800s New York where the titular girl discovers a strange insidious entity within her body. Gross. Titular does not mean what you think it means, you pervert. It means right. what I think it means. <laughs> Ooga chaka. Oh, come on. I know, I know what it means. <laughs> Plunge by Hill and an artist to be announced. You're thinking of embresticled. Embresticled, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Plunge concerns supernatural events in the frozen north. 
Back, you're your not, own biggest fan. It wasn't that funny. Back in the 80s, a highly advanced research vessel went missing near the Arctic Circle, only to suddenly reappear 40 years later, now sending a distress signal. So a team of American researchers is sent to salvage the vessel, even as a wintry storm approaches. Man, I love this event horizon shit Haven't so much. Haven't they ever seen the thing? Oh, my God. Don't go exploring shit in the Arctic. something comes back from missing out of time, yeah. leave it alone. Unless it's <laughs> Captain America. No, even then. Yeah. You know, I mean, be careful. <laughs> Each Hill House comics title will also include a two-page serialized story by Hill and an unnamed artist titled, titled Sea Dogs. Oh, man. The story is set during the American Revolution, where three American werewolves are enlisted to destroy a British naval fleet. Not the Sea Dogs title, I remember. <laughs> You're thinking of the Sea Devils. I oh, yeah, I was thinking of Sea Devils. Uh, nothing says, hey, come out to the water and destroy this boat like three walking dogs. I don't really get that, but all right. I mean, hey, if they're good at their job. You sure, know. sure. You know, it's Why, just you like white dog, jerk wet dog smell everywhere. DC plans a Hill House Comics panel on July 19th at Comic-Con International in San Diego. The line is scheduled to debut October 30th with Basketful of Heads, number one. Uh, we don't know how long any of these are going to be, but hey, good for Joe Hill. Don't call it an imprint. They, they Don't do it. They called it a pop-up line. God. They didn't no, say I mean, imprint. Like, more horror comics is cool. All of these sound interesting. I want them to be good. I'm into it. But um, like I said, Joe Hill, when I look at his list of comics, I'm looking at him. More misses and hits for me. So, we'll see. Remember the cape? Did you love the cape? Yes, the cape is great. Nah, the cape was fun. No, the cape is great. Eh. And he only, like, it was like idea by Joe Hill but based on a, a short story. That's true. No, but he's a talented guy, and he's good with horror, and I hope he's handpicking this stuff, and we can get some good horror titles that last. 90% of the things on here are issues of lock and key. I know. No, I'm into horror comics, and it's sad that Vertigo is dead, because this would be a good place for horror comics like this, but instead, we're going to have a pop-up boutique imprint. I think they're going to be black label, too, which is weird. Are they? Because they're mature readers. There yeah. was no mention of that. There wasn't, but I believe it says black... Oh, no, 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 no. I'm thinking of something else, I think. Yeah, see, which further muddies the black label water. DC also, DC also announced... Uh, some like high fantasy nonsense miniseries that just didn't really. So is Black Label like only to going to be adult superhero stuff? No, this new fantasy book is Black Label. It's called the Last, <sighs> the Last Hero or something. But this is not Black Label. No, yes, DC Black Label. Joe oh. Hill, Hill House Comics. Okay, there you go. Weird that it doesn't say that in the article at all. They probably just made their mind up or didn't tell the people who wrote this article. They had all the who art knows? to accompany the article. It's strange. I don't know. That's your nerd news for the week, but I'm sure we miss plenty of other stories while taking a drink every time a Democratic presidential hopeful says the word Trump during the debate. Oh, man, I was wasted. So hit us up on the THN Forum's big news section, or better yet, tune in to Cover to Cover Live every Saturday. Not this one. Where we broadcast on our Facebook page from 1130 to 1230 Central Standard Yeah, time. I got to work this Saturday, kids. I apologize. Yeah, it's all right. I already told you. It's like AM talk radio, but for nerds and without all the Bernie bashing. So call us at 402-819-4894 or click the Call Now button on our Facebook page. If you can't be there live, leave a message or send an MP3 to twoheadednerd at gmail.com. It's spotlight review time in the ziggurat where we dance through the showers of sparks emitting from the business end of two of this week's comics. Matt, the tails on your Uncle Sam cosplay jacket are on fire! Don't call it a cosplay jacket. That's not what it is. Embrace it, buddy. <laughs> That's not what Embrace I'm doing. Embrace it. I'm a patriot, sir. <laughs> it's got two tails. Tails. Are you a furry? No. Uncle 
Uncle Sam wears a jacket with the tails Why on. Why are they fuzzy, though? They're not fuzzy. Mm. They're star-spangled. You why son of a bitch. Why don't you take a break, <laughs> put that out, and go first? Don't you ever accuse me of that crap again. <laughs> My review this week is of Test, number one from Vault Comics. It's written by Christopher Sabella with art by Jen Hickman. It is 32 pages for $3.99. Here is your solicit. Aleph Noel is a lot of things. An orphan, a human guinea pig. Undergoing medical tests for cash, a body hacker, a hardcore future junkie, and a corporate asset. Some might say too many things. <laughs> but now, Aleph is on the run from their old life in search of a mythical Midwestern town named Laurelwood, where they're test marketing the future with tech that can't possibly exist yet and won't for decades. This is your first experience. Sabella as a writer has had a hell of a year, including an Eisner nomination for Best New Series on his work crowded at image his style is sometimes mean sometimes ugly but always a little left of center it's crowded through image it is isn't it and that is exactly where test sits the story follows a human guinea pig in search of a moving city where the future is test marketed to other societal dropouts and sabella's story follows the rambling narrative of aleph null who's either lost all sense of reality or is experiencing reality on a level that the reader can't possibly understand yet. There are elements of Stephen King's The Shining, William S. Burroughs' Naked Lunch, cyberpunk, and addiction that torment Aleph and leave the reader wondering how much of what they are experiencing is even real. Jen Hickman's art has a very loose style that reminds me of Kevin O'Neill's earlier work, and it lends itself to the fever dream style of the story. It seemed that like the Sabella story, Hickman would allow the art to loosen even further when Aleph was experiencing certain things, like talking to the computer in his head. That said, I'm not sure if those sections of the story were written and drawn that way to show it was pure fantasy or reality. I like where the story is headed in the sense that both the reader and the main character aren't sure what is real, and while we get glimpses from the agency that experimented on Aleph to build some backstory. Test is an experiment in storytelling in and of itself, and I'm on board for Sabella to slip his fingers into my brain with this one. Ugh. I'm giving it a buy it. You seen that guy? I don't know if you, oh, he's you know creepy. where his fingers have been. Yeah. Hell yeah. Um, you know, I, I just could not latch on to this. I couldn't. I, I, and I know that's part of the story, right. is that it's all over the place. Aleph doesn't know what's real. Uh, they're experiencing like weird hallucinations. Are they in some sort of weird future town? Is it just a normal Midwest town? But there's also these like moments of clarity where you get a view of what either may be the real world or what his head is programmed with by the real world. There. That is your sense of reality. Part of it was my own confusion with the story. And part of it, I thought that the narration was kind of overwrought. And it, I just... It didn't hook me. Fair enough. I'm giving it a skim it because it's got some crazy big ideas. I liked the art. And I'll definitely like keep on and see where the story goes. I also felt like there was... just didn't snag me with this There were two different narrators in Aleph's head. There was one that was bugged out, whacked out, nuts, and another one that seemed to kind of know what it was doing and was actually pretty smart about certain things. Like knowing when I do this... This chip in my back, in my neck, is gonna inject a certain chemical in me, and it's gonna make me freak out. And then the other narrator would be like, "I'm freaking out! I'm freaking out! I'm freaking out!" You know, a very multiple personality. I just I see, and I read that as like he's he's constantly like tripping. 
Like his state oh, of reality mean? is in f- they. They're there, constantly tripping. <laughs> yeah, sorry. See, I don't know, and that's just See, it. See, the difference between you and me is that I don't like refuse to acknowledge it. I'm I not just refusing made to split. acknowledge anything. I just didn't come away from this yeah. thinking that maybe Aleph had no gender or didn't. That never played into me. I thought Aleph is it's, separated from reality. It says it. in in the script for the comic where the evil corporation is giving the bio, uh, uh, date of birth, multiple given. Gender, right. multiple given. <laughs> right. So Aleph goes by. But I don't know they, if that them. means multiple given because there's different personalities no! that are giving different births. <laughs> no. Because no. it sure read like there's more than one personality in this head. Joe Patrick, it's time for Lori Lamaris, number one. <laughs> it's I about wish. damn time. I wish. Lois Lane, number one of 12 from DC Comics, written by Greg Rucka with art by Mike Perkins. It's 32 pages for $3.99. Here is your solicit. On the road and out of Metropolis and carrying a secret that could disrupt Superman's life, Lois Lane embarks on a harrowing journey to uncover a threat to her husband and a plot that reaches the highest levels of international power brokers and world leaders. Critically acclaimed and best-selling author Greg Rucka and master storyteller Mike Perkins team up for a tale of conspiracy, intrigue, and murder that pushes even Lois to her limits. Greg Rucka makes his return to DC Comics following his brief run on Wonder Woman a couple of years ago. This time, he's guiding the adventures of crusading journalist Lois Lane as she navigates the political landscape of the DC United States. Rucka's Lois is strong and dedicated and it always seems like the most confident person in the room, even when she's standing side by side with the world's greatest superhero or finds herself in a dark parking garage with a masked vigilante. Yeah, she doesn't hesitate to tell Batman to fuck off every yeah, chance she gets. It's true. <laughs> As always, Rucka's script is very relevant to current events happening in our dumpster fire of a country today, complete with a scene where Lois takes on a White House press secretary who's an unholy cross between Sarah Sanders and Kellyanne Conway. Rucka also addresses topics like sexism in the media and tabloid culture as Lois and Clark deal with the fallout of getting caught kissing in public while Clark was in costume. I was thrilled to see one of Rucka's favorite characters make her return in this issue as well. Mike Perkins is on art duties here with colors by Paul Mounts, and the issue looks great. Mm-hmm. Yep, Perkins has semi. I'll get your get your turn. Perkins has a semi photorealistic style reminiscent of Butch Geist, and it's a perfect fit for a story like this. He has a strong knack for body language and facial expressions, and Mounts' colors are a great complement to the heavily inked line art. Now, Matt had some issues with the art. I had not. I as, think he's crazy. Not as this many comic issues book is with gorgeous. the art, but more with the inking and sort of coloring. It got so heavy at some points. But it's with the blacks. It's a, it's a shadowy intrigue. And I get story. that. Like, I mean, you can do that without she's skulking around the shadows of a parking garage. I agree, but you can do that without losing the art. And I felt like at points it got so I loose. Totally. Disagree. That I was just like, "What are you doing here, Mike Perkins?" I, I so loose. The, there were panels the, the that art was like were just super messy. Tight. If you oh, ask me, no, you're crazy. Hmm. You're crazy. I never really bought into Bendis' reasons for keeping Lois and Clark separate in the Superman titles, but I suspect it was all in service of this series. Superman is definitely a presence in the story, but Lois isn't stuck under his shadow in Metropolis. Rucka was the perfect writer for this project. I'm excited to see where his story goes from here. I'm giving it a huge buy it. I loved it. I loved it too. I'm also giving it a buy it. There is going to be a lot of complaints about politics in your comics with this one. I don't know how there couldn't be politics in your comics when you're telling the story of a journalist. That said, before this, I do not recall a Trumpian presidential figure in the DC universe. And they very much take that tack. Yeah, I just don't know that they necessarily address who the politicians are in the DC universe that often. No, they 
truthfully don't, but I just I don't recall anything this overtly Trumpian going on. Oh yeah, no, he's pulling those pun- he pulls no punches. Yeah, uh, so I mean I can see why some people are going to get pissed. It doesn't bother me. I don't give two shits because that's a reality. Of the yeah, situation. get pissed. Guess what? Your guy's a moron. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I'm giving it a huge bite. It was a lot of fun. I did think some of the blacks got a little too heavy. You're wrong. And looked muddy to me. You're wrong. a double buy it for Lois Lane number one and a buy it and a skim it for test number one. We'll post our written reviews over at TwoHeadedNerd.com so you nerds can see the evidence of what happens when you mix pyrotechnics and comics. It ain't pretty. But we need to know what you nerds thought of these comics too, so call us next weekend for THN Cover to Cover. It's true. Or you can always post on the forums right now. Post on the forums? Leave yeah. a voicemail. Yeah. You can call right this second. Yes. The second you're hearing this. Like, you guys are idiots. I hate you. And we'll be like, all right. Yeah. And then you can get on the internet and be like, I'm going to kill you. And we'll be like, fuck yeah. We love death. Fireworks shows are fun, but way too predictable these days. Right, Joe? So, for this year's Ziggurat 4th of July Spectacular, I had the dwarves of Jotunheim build us some of the most dangerous and unpredictable rockets, fountains, and artillery shells, the likes of which no patriot has ever seen and probably will not survive. Why are all the fireworks pointed at the crowd? Now, join us for the show as we launch the full force of dwarven pyrotechnicality directly into this crowd of oblivious moloids expecting some pretty sparkles in the sky while we review eight more of this Wednesday's new comics during the most American ludicrous speed round of all time! Ludicrous speed! Go! No one left to fight number one from Dark Horse. Imagine if Dragon Ball Z met SpongeBob SquarePants and ABC Family or Freeform, whatever the fuck they call it now, and they turned it into a sitcom colored with Jolly Ranchers, and you've got no one left to fight. I have no idea what audience this is intended for. Not me. The character designs are somewhere between Naruto and SpongeBob. The humor is directly out of a Disney sitcom for kids. And the fight scenes make Dragon Ball Z look tame. I have no clue what this book was supposed to be, but I'm giving it a leave it. <laughs> Sorry, friend of the show, Aubrey Citizen. <laughs> sea of Stars, number one, Image. Jason Aaron and Dennis Hallam team up with artists Stephen Green and Rico Renzi for a story that I'm calling Over the Top in Space. Okay, there's no arm wrestling. Oh, at least over not the top. yet. I didn't mean like it was over the top. No, no, the over the top, the movie. Gotcha, In gotcha. space. There's no arm wrestling yet, but it does feature a space trucker hauling his resentful son across the galaxy. The pair are separated after a giant space worm destroys their big rig. Which happens. Kicking off the adventure. I really loved this. I'm excited to see where it goes. Green and Renzi's art is breathtaking. I'm giving Sea of Stars number one a huge bias. I forgot that this was Jason. I need to read. Star Wars Target Vader number one from Marvel. Robbie Thompson writes a story of a group of the sector's meanest bounty hunters led by Bart Valance, hired to kill Darth Vader. Beetlejuice Valance. The story reads like a bad 80s action movie dripping with machismo and badass bounty hunters turning on each other to be the next one who gets in line to get killed by Darth Vader. The main character is an oddly designed half-cyborg face with all the personality of Cable in the 90s 
This was a oh no, dude, bad. that's Valence the bounty. That's Valence the bounty hunter from the '80s Star Star Wars comic. Yeah, well, it's not working. He here. way predates Cable. This was a bad comic with paper thin characters, uneven art, and nothing I recognized as a Star Wars story. I'm giving it a huge stinky leave it. Captain America and the Invaders, Bahamas Triangle, number one from Marvel. They're all on vacation, sipping like Bahama Mamas, right? Oh, yeah, definitely. Legendary All-Star Squadron creators Roy Thomas and Jerry Ordway reunite for another one of Marvel's 80th anniversary specials. It's a fine one-off story about Captain America, fresh out of the fighter ray chamber, secretly teaming up with the original Human Torch and Namor, though the trio doesn't really know what's happening. Huh? Like, they don't know who they are, so, like, the Human Torch is there, Namor's in the water oh, fighting gotcha, U-boats. Gotcha. So they're all in the same mission, but they don't know it. Right, they're not a team. Yeah, they're not a team. It's definitely very dated, but it's well told, and Jerry Ardway remains a phenomenal artist to this day. Check it out if you're a fan of those 70s and 80s classics. Otherwise, I gotta give Bahamas Triangle a skin. Arrow, number one from Marvel. Did you know there was a shitload of people living in China? Shut up. Marvel does, and they want to sell comics to all of them. All of them? That's why we're getting the story of a super-powered architect with wind powers that fights giant building monsters yeah. and says stuff like, Now its only form and function is to kill. It's like a Metal Gear Solid cutscene. Greg Pak adapts the story. Who wrote this? Hideo Kojima? <laughs> no. It's a video I... game joke for you nerds. <laughs> hey it's written by Zhao Lifen, an artist. Kang did your main story. It is extremely manga. The adaptation was by Greg Pak. But Greg Pak and Pat Mahan do a backup story about Arrow's friend, who sort of like has water powers. Yeah, his name is Wave, get it? They're both going to be in the new Agents of Atlas. Yeah, I'll talk about that. Pat Mahan does, does what he does best with his anime style in the back, but Pak's story on both just comes off as pandering to manga readers. I am all for Asian characters getting a spotlight. But this came off as a desperate attempt to get My Hero Academia fans to read a Marvel comic. I'm giving well, this a skim it okay, now, best. Here's where, here's where I think there's room for debate. Because certainly, it's the same thing with LGBTQ characters, where the motivation certainly is money, right? Oh, or course. publicity. Sure. It's like, Batwoman, she's a lesbian. Yeah. Ha ha! She gay! <laughs> um, so on the one hand, yeah, it's like, yeah, guess what, China? Here's your superhero. Arrow, haha, <laughs> she's got wind powers. She's in a video game. You're right. Uh, but on the other hand, it's like, yeah, this representation is nice and important. Sure, it is. It just kind of came up with that. Yeah, I'll talk about that again uh, in the War of the Realms. <laughs> All right. But yeah, I thought it was fine, but uh, yeah, it's this game. Fantastic Four, Prodigal Son, number one from Marvel. Woof. This is the start of one of those weird little uh, mini non-events that Marvel's fond of doing, you know. like. Or they forgot to tell us about it. No, no, they told <laughs> us about it. But you know what I'm talking about. Three. I like to pretend like they just didn't mention it. And <laughs> it they were was like, definitely in previews. No, I remember seeing showed, it. You guys said you wanted this event. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about, though. I'm, I'm talking about three unnecessary one-shots loosely tied together that sort of tell a single story with mismatched characters like last year's Typhoid Fever, which inexplicably starred Daredevil, uh, Iron Fist, Power Man, and the X-Men. Yeah. <laughs> what the fuck? It was, uh, it was dumb. Yeah, it was dumb. <laughs> Peter David's script is just too cute for its own good, with everyone speaking with the same quippy voice, even the Savage Land natives that drove me crazy. Oh, they can't be cool. I see. That's not it. <laughs> and, like, why do they even speak English at all? And we're introduced to a vastly powerful alien warrior with a name that just happens to sound like the English word prodigal. Well, you know. Ugh. I was just, I was kind of into the plot. I thought it was okay, and I normally like David, but the dialogue just annoyed me. The art by Francesco Magna 
Farmana is fantastic, though. I wasn't familiar with his work before now, but he's really good. Because of that, and because the next chapter stars one of my faves, the Silver Surfer, I'm giving FF Prodigal Son number one a skin. Okay. Mm. Didn't read. Yeah. It's just okay. Doom Patrol, Weight of the Worlds, number one from DC Young Animal. Don't call it an imprint, but Young Animal is back with its flagship I'm calling title. it an imprint. I fell off it's Doom- an imprint. <laughs> I fell off Doom Patrol before the previous series ended, but perhaps unbelievably, I not only could follow this story, I also really liked it. The team is finally together and acting like heroes, fighting an iron-fisted alien fitness despot while Cliff Steele tries to reconnect with his mother. Jeremy Lambert's art is amazing, and Gerard Way is telling the story with a plot and everything. With a co-writer. I'm g- oh, so there's your trick. Oh, I bet they tamed him down, yeah. didn't they? I'm giving it a buy it, though. It was fun. All right. Superman up in the sky. Pardon me. Superman colon up in the sky. Number one from DC. Colon. Colon. <laughs> DC's formerly exclusive Walmart comics have now been repackaged without the reprints for comic shops. Fun. This issue contains the first two chapters of Tom King and Andy Kubert's take on the Man of Steel, which sees Superman leaving Earth behind. Yeah, which sees Superman leaving Earth behind to rescue a little girl that has been kidnapped by aliens. I'm really enjoying the story so far. King seems to have a good handle on Superman's character. There's some great like pocket moments in there. Nobody can decide if pockets or if the cancer are alive or dead. Just wait thing. until uh, Superman loses control of his heat ray vision and kills a bunch of people. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Andy remains my favorite living Kubert, so there, and his art is incredible here. Oh, I still really like Adam. I like Adam, too, but I prefer him. Okay. Superman Up in the Sky, number one, gets a buy it. That is your ludicrous speed round, and is the sound of a big old purple dildo jiggling in JFK and Marilyn Monroe's secret underground sex dungeon deep beneath the White House. Seen the pages? Of Maryland Manor, number one. I reviewed it last week. This onomatopoeia of the week was submitted by our dear pervert and friend, Aura McWilliams, via Facebook. If you want to submit an onomatopoeia of the week, you can wiggle it in our faces at any of our social media accounts, or just shoot us an email to twoheadednerd at gmail.com. This week in the THN Sanctum Sanctorum, we're joined by the star-spangled Ouija board by the Spirit of 76, the Patriot, Mr. America, Sergeant Rock, and the Star-Spangled Kid to tell some old war stories, share some suds, and talk about our must-read comic picks for next Wednesday, July 10th. Not all of those dudes were in the war, man. Doesn't matter. Okay. They're heroes. Yeah. They fought for us. What's your pick for next week? They died for us. Yeah. <laughs> you son of a bitch. My pick for next week is Wolverine and Captain America Weapon Plus number one from Marvel. Really? It is written by Ethan Sachs with art by Diogenes Neves. I love Diogenes Neves. Now, just stay not with a, me. Not enough to learn how to pronounce his damn name, but all right. Diogenes. That's how you say that. Okay. <laughs> 32 pages for $3.99. Dungeness Neves. Here is your solicit. The secret history behind their origins revealed! In 1940, scientists attempted to make a man to the perfect weapon, a super soldier. They failed and made him a legend instead. Before the turn of the century, they tried again for the 10th time. They failed, making a man into death incarnate. At long last, I already told you these people, reveal the shadowy connections between Captain America, Wolverine, and many more of the Marvel U super soldiers, including some surprises. The conspiracy begins here. Now, why I picked this. Okay. Because I love the idea 
that the Captain America Super Soldier Program became the weapon, the weapon one, two, the three, weapon one, plus the weapon program, plus yes. program, tying him and Wolverine directly together. Thank you, Grant Morrison. And I want them to lay it all out, and I'm hoping they can do it in a tasteful manner. I do not predict that they do it in a tasteful <laughs> manner, but I am cautiously optimistic that they will. Okay. My pick goes to Black Hammer Justice League number one from Dark Horse, written by Jeff Lemire with art by Michael Walsh. And I couldn't pick this because you stole it. So It's okay for us to pick the same thing. We've done it before. No, I refuse. It's 32 pages. We've done it before. We must pick separate things. It's 32 pages for $3.99. Here is your solicit. DC Comics and Dark Horse Comics present the ultimate superhero crossover event of 2019. A strange man arrives simultaneously on Black Hammer Farm and in Metropolis, and both worlds are warped as Starro attacks. Batman, Green Lantern, Flash, Wonder Woman, Superman, and more crossover with Golden Gale, Colonel Weird, and the rest of the Black Hammer gang. Do I even need to explain it? No. All right, then. Let's move on. Are you going to be pissed when Dr. Manhattan shows up? <laughs> he will not show up. I don't know, dude. I don't know. This is just wacky enough that they could tie it straight into that they shit. They are not going to tie Black Hammer into Doomsday Clock, I, Matt. I don't know, dude. I'm just saying. Conspiracy theory. With the shit that they're doing in Doomsday Clock right now. You're so weird. DC does not own Black Hammer. They can't do that. Unless Jeff Lemire said, yeah, we can do that. No. I'm fine with it. They're not gonna no do problem. They're not going to do that. We'll see. You're an idiot. The THN Trade of the Week goes to Steve Ber Steve Berber. Steve Berger. The THN Trade of the Week goes to Steve Gerber Conversations. It is a soft cover from University Press of Mississippi. It is written by the best-looking comic book historian in the business, Jason Sachs, with a little bit of help from Eric Hoffman and Various. A very little bit of help, yeah, I'm sure. Who gives a shit about Various's work? Don't get me started. It's 208 pages for 25 bucks. What a steal. That is cheap. Here's your solicit. Steve Gerber, 1947 to 2008, is among the most significant comics writers of the modern era, best known for his magnum opus, Howard the Duck. That's not a joke, okay? He also wrote influential series such as Man-Thing, Omega the Unknown, The Phantom Zone, and Hard Time. Expressing a combination of intelligence and empathy rare in American comics, this volume follows Gerber's career through a range of interviews, beginning with his height during the 1970s and ending with an interview with Michael Urey just before Gerber's death in 2008. The volume concludes with selections from Gerber's dialogue with his readers and admirers in online forums and Gerber-based Yahoo group, probably not still active, wherein he candidly discusses his many projects over the years. Yeah, I don't know if Yahoo groups are still a thing. Now, let me tell you why I love this. First of all, love comics history. Love to read how the sausage is made. Love Jason Sachs. But Jason Sachs is so good at this shit. I could have reached out and said, Jason, give me a free book. I pre-ordered it on Amazon. Pre-ordered it. That's how much I like this stuff. You could have pre-ordered it from a comic book shop and supported the medium, which Steve Gerber loves so much. Yeah, I got a discount from Amazon. <laughs> like, Jason Sachs is not the only writer on this book. We no, are teasing, no. but yes. But he worked very hard on this. He was very excited for it. It's going to be really, really cool. And for you nerds who like this inside baseball comic stuff, oh, man, right yeah. up your alley. Perfect. These are just a few of the comics hitting the news shelves at your local comic shop next week, but we want to hear about everything you're excited to read. Head to the THN forums and let us know what you're reading, but also let us know what you'd like to hear us review on the show. Nerds, you would not believe how much shit went down in the pages of the most recent Marvel event, but Fear not, ADHD victims! For Joe and I have collected the whole of the action 
into one action-packed action segment called Action TLDR. The Action. The War of the Realms. Action Edition. edition. All right. This is going to be an undertaking. So before we do that, let's clink our glasses Oof. and take a sip of our margaritas. Seriously, this is... I like we read Roar of the Realms and we liked it and we reviewed it and we had a good time with it. Excelsior. But it was not until I revisited War of the Realms and tried to take notes on six issues about what happened that I realized just how much went down. We're going to lose our voices during this one. So let's get started. Issue one, the last realm standing. War of the Realms was Marvel's latest summer epic. It was by Jason Aaron and Russell Dodderman, just so you kids are aware. The TLDR version is all spoilers. All We're spoilers. laying it out. So if oh, you yeah. have not read it, smash your digital listening device now. Throw your phone in the toilet. Issue one, titled The Last Realm Standing. We get a brief history of the realms complete with a big Lord of the Rings map showing us around the realms and back again. And the story opens in the wreckage of Asgard. Now, if you've been paying attention to Thor, the war has been going on for a little while here. Melketh has united the frost giants and the uh, fire giants. The fire creatures. The dark the elves. And a bunch of monsters. <laughs> I don't even know what the monsters are. Yeah, yeah. I mean, basically all the villain villains from the Nine Realms. Right. The war has been... Pardon me. All the realms are destroyed. They're pretty much in wreckage. And Odin... They have been conquered. ...is the last man standing in Asgard, but he's set upon and seems to be murdered by Dark Elf Assassins. Oh, no, he's dead. Well, yeah, definitely dead. Whatever will we do. Cut to Thor on Earth. He's living on a boat. He's got Loki's murder dog, Thori, who is arguably one of my favorite animal characters in Marvel history. Yeah. <laughs> Suddenly, portal opens, badly beaten Loki, falls onto the boat. Bam! Tells Thor how Melketh assembled an army and whipped the realm's collective ass. I forgot Thor was living on a boat. He's living on a boat. But the Dark Elves followed him and they attack. Thor has got a bunch of hammers, but he does not have Mjolnir at this time. No, Mjolnir is destroyed. He's been having the dwarves just crank out hammers for him. Yeah. And he makes them all fly around and they like kill all the elves. F this. Take me. Problem to solved. The yeah. end. War of the Realms is over. Well, he turns to Loki and he's like, take me to Melketh. This ends right now. Let's go. So... He does just that. Takes Thor to his frost giant Works dad's out place. great. Yeah. <laughs> the end. He takes him to his frost giant dad's house, Loffy, where they are faced with Melkath's entire army, right? Mm-hmm. Then we flash back to the Bronx, where Spidey, swinging around, doing his thing. By the way, if Russell Dodderman was the only artist that drew Spider-Man for the rest of our lives, I'd be okay with that. He does a good Spidey. Spidey stumbles across Thor's mom, Freya. Freya. She's fighting the Dark Elves, and Spidey's like, what? <laughs> Sif and Hildegard show up to back the queen just as shit starts you mean to go. Hilda? No. Or is it Hildegard? It's Hildegard. Okay. The, the, the big the, one. The butch blonde woman. The, the beefy one, yeah. yeah. Sif and Hildegard show up to back the queen just as shit starts to go haywire all over NYC, meaning like Malika's army is just spilling into the they streets. They are invading. Portals are opening. Monsters are falling all over the place. Frost Giants. Elves, all manner of crazy fucking monsters. Daredevil, the Punisher, and the Avengers are all showing up, and we have got a mighty Marvel Donnybrook here. Yes, sir. I kind of love that the Punisher is so good at killing Dark Elves. 
because they have an affinity to iron. Oh, sure, yeah. So he's just like, and they're like, this fucking guy is a never-ending truck full of bullets. It's like, murder, 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 murder. Are bullets made out of iron? Yeah, there's probably some iron in them. Sure. Know. But he's killing them with Why it. Why not? Loki's dad, Lofi, shows up. So does Loki. He tells everyone Thor is stuck on Jotunheim, which is frost giant territory, and we're not going to win this war without Thor. And then Loki's dad says a bunch of gnarly stuff about Loki, picks him up, eats him. But at first, Loki's, it looks like he's working with Melkith. Well, he brought Thor to Jotunheim. And then like double As a trap. And double cross. Well, sort of. I mean, it's Loki. We don't really know. You know. He definitely comes off as the villain at the beginning of this story. But there's something that happens and then way he gets bit in later. Well, yeah, way later. I'm talking about right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But again, like in typical Loki fashion, we find out that maybe sure. he's not. He's playing the, both sides. He's not the super bad guy we think he is. So then dad gets mad and Hieronymus Bosch style eats his kid. Yes. Mm. Yes. There's a whole thing. It's just a whole panel of like this jump. <laughs> he's right. like biting him in half. Issue two, the Midgard Massacre. This issue opens in the home of Doctor Strange, where he's evacuating citizens to a side reality. Bats the ghost dog makes an appearance. We've not seen him in quite some time. Uh, <laughs> no, he was, I've seen him in things. Really? Recently? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Punisher Wolverine team up for some dark elf murder. Malekith hired a coven of war witches who are preventing Doctor Strange from using his full power. Freya is struggling <laughs> against the Queen of Angels. Spider-Man is busy fighting against Queen Cinder of Muspelheim. She's like a fire lady. And Curse and the Enchantress. Daughter of Surtur. Yes. Curse and the Enchantress are fighting She-Hulk and Ghost Rider, respectively. And they're keeping it very boy-girl, boy-girl. Just like WWE. No, this curse is a girl. Oh, that's right. This curse was a girl. You're mm -hmm. right. Odin, who survived the attempt on his life, he's feeling much better, shows up with his Asgardian army. Brunhilda, the Valkyrie, gives Jane a ride to the war witches, who just happen to be torturing Blade. Always bet on black. Brunhilda works at- Like you do. Brunhilda freaks out, beheads all the war witches. Odin is enraged when he finds out that Lawfully ate Loki. Doctor Strange uses all his power to transport the remaining heroes to Avengers Mountain in the North Pole, where Which he was an faced accident. from exhaustion. Which was an accident. Yeah, he was trying to like take. He was trying to teleport all the citizens away. Right. And he accidentally teleported all of the Avengers to Avengers Mountain. Oops, sorry, New York. Shit happens. Yeah. Ghost Rider and Sif take Odin to rest while Captain America orders Carol Danvers to get as many heroes as she needs to defend the Earth. The War Avengers. There you go. More on that later. We're getting there. Freya appoints Jane Foster as the all-mother of Asgard, but Jane is too upset about Earth's destruction, and she's like, I can't do this right now. No, no, no. Back in NYC, Brunhilde is the last person fighting against the Dark Elves before Malekith shows up, chops her head off, bam, leaving Jane Foster. Implied. We don't actually see it, but yeah, it sure sounds like he chops her head it off. It kind of happens off panel. Yeah. But regardless, Jane becomes Valkyrie after that. Not yet. She ain't Valkyrie yet. Well, she kind of decides in that moment. No, she's the all She's like running things from behind the scenes as the all mother for the whole series. Okay, it, it's not enough. until the very end that Freya sends Cap and his team, who is Spider Man, Wolverine, Iron Fist, and Luke Cage, to rescue Thor from Jotunheim. Daredevil takes Heimdall's sword, fixes the Bifrost Bridge, and effectively turns into the God Without Fear. Mm. It was fucking awesome. Yeah. Freya and her group, consisting of Blade impersonating Dark Elf, She Hulk impersonating a Rock Troll. Ghost Rider, posing as a fire goblin, and Punisher, also impersonating a dark elf, will go to Svartalheim, home of the dark elves, to destroy 
The Dark Bifrost The Black Bifrost. Yes. Also controlled by Crazy Sword. And we find out some interesting stuff about that sword. Captain Marvel will go to Earth to deal with Maelketh with the War Avengers, who include Deadpool, Weapon H, who is now, like, full-on part of continuity? He's always been. Has he? Mm -hmm. Okay. Winter Soldier. There was a Hulk. Hulk Vereen's crossover. Oh, that's true. Captain Britain, Lady Sif, and Venom. And that's going to turn out to be a whole thing. Jane Foster will remain with Heimdall, Daredevil, and the Destroyer armor to defend the Bifrost Bridge. We move. Issue four. Is it go through issue three already? Yeah. Oh, yeah, because that's when Valkyrie got beheaded. Yeah, there was a whole lot of fighting. So Maelketh, tired of beating up New York, attacks Europe with the Ebony Blade. He's about to kill Black Knight, Union Jack, and Spitfire when Captain Marvel arrives with... The War Avengers. The War Avengers. As the War Avengers fight the Dark Elves, Venom tries to attack Maelketh, only to be absorbed into yeah. his sword, yeah. which just so happens to be made of the symbiote god. No. That's why he can do No, it was the Ebony Blade, I thought. Oh, I bet you're right. That makes sense. But that doesn't make any sense. And then he absorbed Venom, and but Mel Maelketh knew about Null. I thought it was part of Null. Because that, and that's why it worked. But you're right. It was the Ebony Blade. Maybe and, there's two swords. I mean, I guess. Maybe the Ebony we, Blade is not Null. Maybe we missed it. The God Slayer or whatever. That's different. That was the sword the God Butcher Oh, yeah, used. yeah, yeah. Gore the God Butcher. Yeah. And they revealed that that was part of Null. Regardless, yeah. the Dark Elves launch a sneak attack on Foster's group while Tony Stark and Shuri help the dwarves create new weapons, including war machine armor for all the dwarves. It was <laughs> so cool. <laughs> And Black Panther and the Dormelage prepare for a frost giant attack on Avengers Mountain. Roz Solomon, an agent of Wakanda, reports that Roxxon has taken over Antarctica. Those sons of bitches. Namor is fighting off the dark elves in the ocean, and the Fantastic Four are defending Manhattan. Okay, time out. Point of order. During the War of the Realms, Malekith defeats Dane Whitman in combat and takes the Ebony Blade for himself, delighted right. by its blood curse. Right. When attacked by Venom, Malekith reads the symbiote's memories to learn of Null and uses the Ebony Blade to subdue it, casting the cursed side. Oh. Casting the cursed sword aside in favor of turning the Venom symbiote into its own version. Yeah, because he like turns Venom of the all-black necro sword into like a sword and like into a spear later too. Yeah, that so he sense. throws away the black. Uh, the ebony blade is like fuck that. I've got a venom sword. Okay, so the ebony blade, not no. Yeah, all right. Not for that. Glad that we figured good. that out. Yeah. Now, while defending the Bifrost Bridge, Daredevil gets a little disoriented because it's super crazy, and the Dark Elves destroy the Rainbow Bridge. Yikes! Freya arrives at the Black Bifrost Bridge, but realizing that the regular Rainbow Bridge has been destroyed, she changes plans and decides yeah. to take over this one. Well, gotta have it. Gotta use it. Somehow. The only way to get around. Only there's gonna be a price. Captain America's group finds Thor, but he is whacked out in Berserker Rage after killing so many Frost Giants, and he's pretty messed up, missing an arm and stuff. He it's was missing an arm for a while. Now. It's a whole thing, but yeah. Issue five! Freya uses the sword that controls the Black Bifrost Bridge. She almost goes nuts. She sends a Punisher to the Light Elves. She-Hulk goes to Nidvalir, the home of the dwarves. Blade to Vanaheim, the home of the Veneer gods. And Ghost Rider goes to hell, basically. Niflheim, the land of the dead, to recruit more allies. While Punisher talks to Queen Elisa Featherwing of the Fae, she hears him out. For some reason, he's like, yeah, this is Frank. He knows what he's talking about. <laughs> She-Hulk sways the dwarves with a very short speech. Blade offers the veneer the chance for revenge on Malekith, and they're just like, fuck yeah, that guy messed up our sacred forest and defiled our temples. And, of course, the Ghost Rider is sent 
to recruit the Spiders of Hell. But he's not going to end up leading them. Can you guess who does? Who? Spider-Man. It just makes sense. <laughs> Freya sends remember ca- this at all. Yep. Freya sends Cap and beat up Crazy Thor back to Avengers Mountain, where they are attacked by an army of fire demons now, frost giants, and other monsters. Black Panther and Shuri activate the Celestial inside the Avengers Mountain. Uh, point of order. Gorilla Man gets that shit done. It's They don't show it. I'll address it. Okay. But yeah, the reason that they're able to activate the Celestial Defenses is because Gorilla Man gets it done. Oh, in the Agents of Atlas. In, uh, no, Avengers number 19. But carry on. Okay. While Thor is in the infirmary, Odin wakes up, wants to know where Freya is. Freya hears that Valkyrie is dead. Captain Marvel and the Agents of Atlas are fighting fire goblins in China. Venom is being tortured by Malekith, turned into a spear and a sword and all kinds of shit. Thor is recuperating. Where's Eddie during all this? I guess he's not around. Did his body just like slump to the ground? I don't remember him like squirting out of there. Me neither. Yeah, that's a good question. I didn't even thought about it. Thor is recuperating, and Luffy is at the Statue of Liberty doing his King Kong impersonation and like swatting jets out of the air. Captain America tries telling Odin, You're way too messed up to go to battle. Odin will not hear it. Good news. Iron Man, Shuri, and Screwbeard the Dwarf create an armor made of. Screwbeard. I love Screwbeard, who is essentially Torbjorn from Overwatch, if you've never played that game. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> they created an armor that's made of Uru and Vibranium for Odin that he can wear Iron Man style. Yeah. And he looks awesome. It's got horns. It's fucking cool. <laughs> Malekith is torturing Venom and tries to tame the symbiote as he turns him into a dagger of living abyss and reshapes it into Knowles all black designed to kill as guardians. God killed. The Necrosword. Sort of. But Necrosword light. It's not like sure, the yeah. regular thing. Freya is gravely injured by Malekith when he spears her in the stomach with Venom as a spear at that point. Odin arrives in the new armor, buys Freya time to destroy the Black Bifrost Bridge, where it's blast, kills them both. Again, they're dead. Forget it. It's over. He'll never see them again. Yep. And they destroy all of Malekith's forces at the time. On Midgard. Uh, again. You'll never see him again. Nope. You'll never see any it's more Malekith's forces. On Midgard, Jane Foster spreads the news of destruction of the Black Bifrost Bridge. After being fully healed, Thor announces, I'm going to lead the charge against Malekith's army, and I've got a spiked hammer, and I've got Yarnborn, the axe, oh, and by the way, i got a new arm, the destroyer arm, and it's fucking rad. Yeah, just like <laughs> King Thor. Like yes. King Thor. Well, yeah. Yes, exactly yeah. like King Thor. A lot of elements of King Thor are established in this Very much so. series. Very much so. And we're getting to the main elements in issue six! <sighs> Here we go. <laughs> so Wakanda is attacked by an evil angels of heaven when Hildegard, Okoyo, Lady Sif, Angela, Black Panther, Punisher, and Light Elves they all arrive to help. In Uruguay, the Enchanter raises dead. Ghost Rider's dealing with that. Doctor Strange and Baldar help him fight her off. Spider-Man is allied with the Spires of Hell, and they do, <laughs> they show up to help there. She-Hulk is fighting against Ulick the Troll. I fucking love Ulick the Troll. Me too. And his army, along with Deadpool, Daredevil, and Iron Fist. Daredevil still has the powers of God. He's super badass right now. Yeah. In Manhattan, Iron Man has equipped all the dwarves with war machine armor. They have little war machine armor, and it's so cute. <laughs> and they lead the attack on Luffy with help from Fantastic Four. In London... Captain America is helping Captain Britain fight off the Dark Elves. Thori eats the Dark Witches. And Volstagg controls the Destroyer armor to defeat Curse. Like, big fat Destroyer shows up, puts a hurt down a Curse. 
pretty awesome. Then Thor comes back, bad as hell. Hold up. I feel like we missed some stuff. There's an extended period of time where Thor is stuck in the sun. We're getting there. Still with the powers of Heimdall, Daredevil takes Thor to the sun, where he revealed that when Asgard was destroyed, threw a seed into the sun. However, that seed was durable enough to survive and grew into a new Yggdrasil world tree. World tree. Daredevil explains that Thor seeks an answer. However, there must be a price. Thor orders Daredevil to nail him to the tree using Yarnborn and ignore his screams until he can find the answer. Melkith, in the meantime, torturing Odin and Freya with the Venom symbiote in Stonehenge. Where else would you do that? Odin pleads Thor not to go to Stonehenge because it's a trap. But Melkith stabs Odin. He's dead. Over. Get Never see him again. <laughs> Never going to see him again. All right, so... Time out here, because at the beginning of War of the Realms, issue six, Thor is in the sun. Thor is still in the sun. He's been in the sun so since this is, last issue. So part of five is where so he So I think your issue number, yeah. I think your issue breaks are a little mixed up. I think you're right. Because it, he's lost an eye. It was the end of five he goes there, but he gives yeah. his eye and it doesn't work. The whole thing is Yeah, like, right. It, it's not enough. We'll give that. Uh, and then the Fantastic Four are going around. The Fantastic Four and uh, other people, I presume, are going around through the time stream to recruit different versions of Thor, which is at the very beginning of the issue. Ye okay, that was... Yes, you're right. They set off, but... Yeah, I guess I have them all showing up. In one of these On Asgard, Jane Foster meets up with Heimdall, oh, who, and Oh, this is a big moment. Who tells her that Thor is in the sun trying to find answers. Heimdall tells Jane... No. Don't worry about it. He's going to take care of it. Jane counters that she should be doing something since Brunhilde died for her. This is still issue five. And this yes. is still issue five. You're right. This is still issue five. Because I'm looking at issue six right now and you are way off base. And she elaborates that she is the all mother of Asgard and everything on Asgard is hers. Now, it is at this point that she picks up the broken hammer of ultimate Thor. The, wa the war Thor. Right. Uh, from Jason Aaron. Previously destroyed when Mangog fought against Volstagg's War Thor. Form. Yes. Uh, so this is the final panel yes. of War of the Realms number five, because okay. I remember us being very concerned about what was happening in that <laughs> yeah. panel. Jane Foster states that there must be another Thor, and she lifts it. Bam! But it's broken. So not only does she lift the, the handle, but she somehow, through force of will, reconstitutes the hammer of the war Thor. Well, she's the she Alma. brings back all the pieces together into the hammer. Freya made her the Alma. She can do that shit. I'm saying. She's a badass. Yeah. Issue six! Thor, still pinned to Yggdrasil, tries to sacrifice his left eye for the knowledge to defeat Malekith the Accursed. Doesn't work. While reluctantly allowing Yggdrasil to take the shard of Mjolnir instead, oh, man. Thor gets the answer he seeks in the form going to find other Thors. Thor core, baby! <laughs> Billions of years into the future! Untold eons from on now. On Earth 14442. Don't read that shit. Those people don't don't trust the internet with that shit. Yeah, they're in the future In the future of yeah. Jason Aaron's Far King future. Thor. Frigg Woden is reading the events of Malekith's campaign of Midgard to her sisters, Alti and Elsieve, as they now know that their grandfather, King Thor, lost his eye. This yeah, they're like, oh, that's happened. how it happened. Yeah. After reading the part where their grandfather's old allies would travel through time, Mr. Fantastic and the Thing emerge from a time portal. At that exact moment, how convenient. Baboosh. 
King Thor arrives where he has been expecting this day to happen. Back in the present, Thor explains the situation to King Thor. And he says, I see the years haven't been kind to you. You look like hell. You look like me. Yep. King Thor agrees with the plan to find more Thors. The younger Thor from the sixth century states, he is ready for battle. He's feeling much better now. Jane now, this is Thor before he's worthy. He's got the Yarnborn stuff. Yes. Jane Foster appears in her Thor form, revealing that she's using the Mjolnir from the Ultimate, Ultimate Thor. Universe, yeah. And the Thor core is back. Minus Dargo. They call them something else, but yeah. they're the Thor core, goddammit. Yeah, Dargo's not there. It's no Thor core. Back at Manhattan. No Beta Ray. Iron Man. Where Punisher. is Beta Ray Bill during the war? Yeah, no shit. He's with the Guardians of the Galaxy. Oh, that's right. They're doing still, other stuff. Still. Or, but he was in a black hole. Um, they, they got freed almost immediately. Well, we don't know. Black hole time is weird. Yeah, yeah. We he's don't just, know. He's not on Earth. It doesn't matter. It was a whole su silver surfer black. He could, mm. saved him. Yeah. Captain Marvel crashes Queen Cinder into a frost giant, and then Captain Marvel. Oh yeah, sure leads. enough, here's Spider Man with the spiders. Yep, cuts his head off. <laughs> Captain Marvel, Black Panther, Sif, and the Thing confront Luffy, who pulls out a casket of ancient winters, which he eats, and it augments his powers. Knowing that the Thor Corps is approaching, oh, Mail yeah, she kills. She cuts Cinder's head off. Yes. Knowing the Thor Corps is approaching, Maelketh augments his alkalites with the Venom symbiote. Like they all become Venom, and then they all bond with it. When the Thor Corps arrives, Ooh, yeah, that happens. Maelketh uses the Venom symbiote's powers to grow wings, and he looks just like Null, their god, kind of, and he declares himself the Butcher of Thors. The Butcher of Thors, yeah. Whew. So at this point, the Thor Corps has showed up. Yes. While they're fighting, Thor coats. Uh, Malketh coats one of Thor's golden hammers with a venom symbiote, calls it the Black Hammer of the Accursed. Malketh tries to impale Jane Foster with his tongue. It's gross. Thor goes into a berserker rage, throws himself into Malketh as the other Thors sense the powers of the God Tempest rising. <laughs> All right, so there's a pretty there's some moments that happen before that that are pretty fun, uh, where um, Lothi has swallowed the cask of ancient winners and he's using it. To freeze out all the heroes, like Superman, cold breath style. Yeah, and it's like there's a special power behind it. I can't remember what it's well, called. Well, yeah, the cask of a, a, of ancient winners. You open it, and it creates like an ice age. It's yeah, like, but it's, it's bad news. Okay. And uh, Daredevil faces off against Luffy single-handed and does some really like crazy Ricky J ricochet tricks and... Uh, throws Heimdall's sword down Luffy's throat. That's cool. Which is important later. <laughs> yeah, it's important later. Uh, so uh, we got Thorcore, we got Venom, uh, we got a Venom hammer. Things are looking bleak. So Captain America and Sif are defending Daredevil, and Daredevil whispers to Thor, it's time to wield the Storm of Storms! The God Tempest. That's right. When the God Tempest arrives on Earth, it starts to rain, fire, and ice. It's super fucking crazy. As, as we all know, fire is the symbiote's weakness one of the symbiote's weakness, which That's is why true. he does it. I hadn't even thought about that, but you're right. As the symbiote-possessed alkalites are harmed by fire because it's their weakness, they're like, yeah! They freak out. The god Tempest reconstitutes itself into a restored Mjolnir, which Thor manages to lift while Jane Foster notices that her Mjolnir is about to explode. Yeah, it's all messed up. This leads to her throwing it into Lawfully just as a half-digested Loki cuts himself and the casket of ancient winners free from his tummy. Yes. It's gross. Now, very something very important that you glossed over here. When last we saw Thor with Mjolnir, right. he was not worthy. That's true. And now, through 
his trials, he has once again become worthy. Oh, yeah. He's able to lift me up. He ate a ton of shit. He regains his hammer. It is mine again. Behold, the very earth trembles. And now he's going to become King Thor. Yeah. As the younger Thor cuts off Malekith's arm, Thor urges him to surrender. Malekith summons the Great Hunt. No, the younger Thor cuts off Malekith. That's what I said. As the younger Thor cuts off Malekith's arm. Oh, sorry. I thought you said Thor got his arm cut off. No. Younger Thor cuts off Malekith's arm, <laughs> and then Thor, regular Thor, tells him, surrender. It's all over. Malekith's like, F that. And he summons the Great Hunt, which is like these hounds and this Bartleheim bog tiger. Bat-winged tigers. Yeah. But instead, they're pissed, and they're trying to beat a slave. They can smell his fear. So they eat him. <laughs> they eat him. They tear him to shreds. And that is it. The War of the Realms is over. Daredevil, no longer a god. Kind of upset about it for a minute, but he's okay. Venom regains its human form. Oh, so this is just the symbiote. Uh, yes. So It's just the symbiote, and not And actually, Eddie. this is an important uh, key moment for the Venom series, because if you've been reading Venom, you know that uh, something happened and right. the symbiote kind of lost its um, well, the whole Null, sentience. The, yeah, the whole Null thing. It was just like a mindless animal. Well, we learned that Null was in charge of all of them and they were a collective. And there was something wrong with Venom where he had like his own mind and he broke away from the slave order. Or yeah, but something happened and he lost it. And he was just like, yeah. he was mindless. Mal- it was not like talking to Eddie anymore. Noel reinfected just, him yeah. and was trying to make him part of the drones again. Uh, but now so, we see that as a result of the dark magic that Malekith used, yes. the Venom symbiote's mind has been healed. Suddenly, he's back, baby. Uh, just in time for Absolute Carnage. That's right. <laughs> Jane Foster says goodbye to her hammer. It crumbles and shards. And we and, never see it again. And they merge into a, a golden vambrace that forms on her arm. Yeah. What is this? I don't know. We'll never see that again. Peace occurs amongst the ten realms. The younger Thor and King Thor both kind of chuckle and laugh and walk away. And Odin says, you know what? I suck at this job. Thor, you're the new all-father. Boom! The King end. Thor, the end. Woo! I'll breeze through these pretty quick, but there were a lot of tie-ins, one-shots, and minis that fleshed out the series within the main series. You should have been doing that in between my shit. Well, it was still would have taken the amount of time, wouldn't it? Have? So we've got War Scrolls, which was an anthology series similar to what they've done with past events. Um, it was anchored by a three-part Daredevil story by Jason Aaron and Andrea Sorrentino, which was all about Daredevil transforming into the god without fear, fighting the Kingpin, who got empowered by a god hammer. Of course. And they were they had like the most intense, super-powered fight they've ever had. It was awesome. Uh, the other stories were okay. Uh, some hits and misses. I like the Giant Man one. That was fun. Oh, you know what? I totally forgot about Giant Man. Yeah. But that wasn't part of War Scrolls. That was War Scrolls was its own three-issue thing. Right. Uh, there was a giant giant man series, which was should have been called Giant Men. Yeah. Because it was about Scott Lang, uh, Atlas, uh, Black Goliath. Goliath. Who's just Black Goliath? Black no. Goliath. And the new giant man, whose name I don't know. He has a goatee. Yeah. Uh, they uh, posed as uh, frost, giants. frost giants. They paint. They literally painted themselves blue. <laughs> yeah. They they posed as frost giants and invaded Florida. To stop yeah. the production of new frost giants, and the frost giants were like, "Oh yeah, come on in," because they're idiots. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, it was decent. It was fun. Journey into Mystery was a five-part mini written by the McElroy family, who you know from uh, My Brother, My Brother and Me and the Adventure Zone, with great art by Andre Lima Araujo. 
Uh, it's a ragtag group consisting of Miles Morales, Kate Bishop, Wonder Man, Boulder the Brave, Thori the Talking God Dog, Death Locket from Avengers Arena, and Sebastian Druid from Secret Warriors. That sounds wonderful. Yes. They were tasked with protecting Thor's baby sister from the clutches of Cinder, the daughter of Surtur, and her secret weapon, Ares, God of War, who I thought was dead, but is not dead. No, they're gods. Uh, their plan, a cross-country RV trip <laughs> that led them to cross paths with a group of hidden scroll campers, cowboy ghosts, a henchman convention, and more. It's a ton of fun. <laughs> Full of McElroy stuff if you're a fan. That sounds great. Still great if you're not. The baby who confused us when we read the first solicit. Right. It's explained in the series. Apparently, she was introduced in the Angela series, which we didn't read. There was a three-issue Punisher series uh, where Frank has to escort a group of patients from a hospital across the Lincoln Tunnel to safety after a frost giant kills... Uh, a frost giant uses a car full of innocent people to try to kill Frank, and he's like inspired to help these people. Oh, wow. Uh, he also recruits a bus full of prison inmates to help, equips them with weapons taken from slain dark elves, which ends exactly the way you think it will. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the whole story takes place early in the event because Frank is sent on other missions later on. We'll get to that. It was okay. The first issue was good. The rest was eh, not really essential for the main event. Gotcha. New Agents of Atlas sees Jimmy Woo recruiting, recruiting Amadeus Cho, Silk, and Shang-Chi alongside a bunch of Asian gods and all new superheroes from all over the Pacific Rim to prevent Cinder from melting the polar ice caps. Like I said in the in our reviews, I think it's great to introduce a whole new lineup of international heroes and Greg Pak does a decent job scripting no thanks to some pretty dodgy art. But the whole series read like an extended ad for Marvel's various mobile games, which is where most of these characters were introduced. Yeah. Uh, the events of this series, however, do seem pretty important because, uh, well, they seem important right up until they fast forward past Malekith's defeat. <laughs> it's like, oh no, all these fire elves, what are we doing, what are we doing, what are we doing? Three days later, <laughs> after the defeat of Malekith. <laughs> Uncanny X-Men is another tie-in series that was pretty decent, but didn't have a ton of impact on the overall event. Uncanny X-Men? Yeah, it was War of the Realms, colon, Uncanny X-Men. Oh, gotcha. The three-issue story finds the X-Men rounding up and protecting survivors that weren't able to escape New York when Doctor Strange vaped everybody to wherever they went. He vaped them. He vaped them. <laughs> Matthew Rosen he is a vapist. He is a vapist. <laughs> Matthew Rosenberg and Perry Perez do a good job here, and honestly, it just reads like regular issues of Uncanny X-Men. Uh, Rosenberg kills another one of my favorite mutants. Who? Sunspot. Oh! And speaking of which, Asian guy... Why is he not an Agent of Atlas? He's not Asian. Sunspot is... Uh, oh, I'm sorry. I was thinking of from, uh, Sunfire Columbia so or something. My bad. Yeah. They yes, killed Sunspot? They killed they Bobby? Did. Yeah. Oh, my God. Uh, and he tugs at the old heartstrings with the return of Wolvesbane's furry husband from the 1980s. You remember? Oh, God. She meets an Asgardian wolf god. Yeah, that's and right. And marries that's him. That's right. And they have a kid. Uh, Strike Force was a series of one-shots that expand on specific missions that the heroes embark on. Uh, the Dark Elf Realm is by Brian Hill and Lanil Yu, which More is like the a dork elf. Yeah, which is the mission that Blade, She-Hulk, Ghost Driver, Punisher, and Freya uh, go on to Storm's Falterheim to claim the back Black Bifrost. Thank uh, you for calling him Ghost Driver. Yes, you're welcome. Uh, this issue is key as it shows how Freya uses the power of the Black Bifrost to take the fight directly to Malekith later in the series. Whew. The War Avengers is by Dennis Hallam, Ario Anandito, and Kim Yacinto. Uh It's a much less essential installment. Jacinto, yes. <laughs> yeah. 
Uh, a much less essential installment that featured Captain Marvel assembling yet another team. Uh, I did like seeing characters like Captain Britain in the MI-13. Yeah, like man. Oh, I uh, love Captain Britain so much. Weapon H. Uh, and the Black Knight. Shit, dude. I yeah, love the Black Knight. Black Knight was there. Uh, and it does have a, a moment that leads into what happens to Venom and the Sword in the Wolves. It's true. Finally, we've got Tom Taylor and Jorge Molina taking us to the Land of Giants. And Captain America, Spider-Man, Wolverine, Luke Cage, and Iron Fist invade uh, Jotunheim to rescue Thor. Definitely essential. It was fun. I totally loved it. It was great. It was funny and heartbreaking. There's yes. A, there's a horse. Don't even get me started about the horse. <laughs> so that's Strike Force. We've got Spider-Man and the League of Realms. Following his adventure in Jotunheim, Spider-Man is recruited to lead the League of Realms, a group of warriors from all over the world tree once led by Thor. Uh, this group is tasked with freeing Africa from the angelic forces of heaven, with no A, H-E-V-E-N. Oh, heaven. Uh, Sean Ryan writes, and Nico Leon, who thankfully is drawing the new Agents of Atlas uh, series that spins out of this, does a fantastic job on the art. The final fate of Curse happens in these pages, or at least something that sets up Curse's defeat later on. Right. Uh, great cast, an emotional hook. I don't know if I call it essential, and most of the characters only appeared in panels here and there in the main series, but I did really enjoy it. And lastly, though there were other single-issue tie-ins that I never got to, uh, Avengers 19 and 20, Jason Aaron and Ed McGinnis give us one issue of Gorilla Man single-handedly defending Avengers Mountain. I love Gorilla Man so much. And another issue where they double down on the giant angry She-Hulk nonsense. Yeah. It's all good, but I'm done with I it. I miss my sassy attorney. Yeah, I'm and done with it. Where is my attorney? I'm done with giant sassy, giant fucking savage She-Hulk. I'm done with it. I'm done. And that is everything that happened in War of the Realms. <sighs> so there it is. You don't have to read it. Yeah, we did it, so you, you don't, don't have, have to. read it at all. If you did read it and you think we're way off base, let us know. But I feel like we nailed it. I think we did too. Yeah. I also feel like we both lost weight while we did this. I'm sweating so much. Holy friggin' hell. Excelsior. Oh. That is it for DHN 535 and... 536 may have to be pushed back after two fire giants farted simultaneously during the climax of my stupid fireworks show. <laughs> Joe Patrick, I am going to start shoveling bodies into the trenches. You ask these nerds a new question of the week. They are just moloid bodies. So. They don't matter. They're just moloid bodies, yeah, no. so they don't matter. Yeah, yeah. They can't feel the thing. They're yeah. like fish. This week's question was submitted by Ryan Hebrews Mount via the THN forums. If you could go back in time and pick up a comic story from any point, what would you choose and how would you do things differently? This question was inspired by the next Terminator movie and the most recent Hell, uh, Halloween movie, both of which picked the, are picking up from their most successful installments and ignoring everything that happened afterwards. You can't afterwards. do that! You comics can't do, do it. it. Comics do it all the time. They, they, you have to like, you know, just like rewrite or like write something off or be like, oh yeah, they farted in that. They're change. doing it. Ugh. The other movies were just what ifs, baby. If you're new to the show and you can't imagine a more anti-American message for any podcast, I assure you, it's only because you haven't heard enough. The good news is you can hear the entire run of THN in our digital long box archive at twitternerd.com. But hosting that many episodes, it ain't cheap, folks. So we want to thank donors like longtime THN supporter John Andrews. 
Thanks, John. I hope we're not calling him out and reminding him that he's still supporting us. And he's like, oh, shit. Am I still throwing money at this garbage? I feel like every time we say a name, it's an excuse for them to shut it off. Yeah, like next week, they're like, so-and-so stopped their donation. <laughs> Before we go, our weekly shout-out goes to Matt Fujian and the crew at O Comic Con for putting on another great show and welcoming us back yet again. I almost nailed it. It was still a little weird. Despite the <laughs> fact that we are terrible about planning ahead. It's true. Word to you guys, and see you next year. Hope so. <laughs> Until next time, true believers. Remember to pre-order your comics or your retailer might just spray con crud all over them. This is the Two-Headed Nerd. <laughs> <laughs>